Fulsome greetings and glad tidings to the multitude of listeners and stakeholders of this esteemed oral production. It's wonderful, as always, to have you here as we endeavour to inform, enlighten and invigorate your knowledge of and participation in the issues most pertinent to residents of the various islands constituting Aotearoa New Zealand. My name is Emile Donovan, and today on The Detail, Plain Language. Well, office jargon seems to be seeping into the fabric of the English language. It can be annoying, confusing, pretentious and downright useless at times. When was the last time you read an online contract? Do you have any idea about what you're signing yourself up for? Is it a deliberate attempt to use jargon to confuse or just the way that contracts are written these days? The American author Mark Twain once said... I apologise for such a long letter. I didn't have the time to write a short one. And that's a pretty profound sentence. Writing clearly and concisely, communicating an idea in as few words as possible, that's hard. And it shows corporate speak is all around us, often in the places we really don't want it to be, in contracts and public documents and pouring from the mouths of politicians and public officials. It's infuriating, it's pointless, and it's lazy. But last month, something happened which could start to signal a change. 53. Number 53, the Plain Language Bill, Rachel Boyack. So, can a piece of law change the way we communicate? The Plain Language Bill has been pulled out of the old parliamentary biscuit tin. It will require government departments to use plain, simple language on their documents and websites with uh, limited acronyms. Today on the podcast, we're talking about the benefits of straight talk and the drawbacks of being swamped in bureaucraties. Well, it matters because... Actually, as a citizen, it's a democratic right to be able to understand what government wants you to do, is doing. Labour's Rachel Boyack is the electorate MP for Nelson. She entered Parliament in 2020. So, for example, if you're required to pay taxes, you need a clear um, message about what those taxes are, how you pay them, when you pay them. We all have the right to participate in our democracy, and so the language that government departments use is a very important part of that participation. You know, every day we will get messages from government, whether it be a television ad or a letter from work and income, information on when to put your recycling out, all of those things. And in order for people to actually act on instructions or understand what government's asking them to do, the language needs to be clear. We've obviously got a lot of people in New Zealand who now have English as a second language. And so that's something I find as an electorate MP is that when people with English as a second language get a letter from government, it can be even more difficult for them to understand. And so we've got obligations for those people to ensure if we're asking them to fill in a form or pay a bill, that they understand what's being asked of them. Before the bill was pulled from the ballot, I'd been having some conversations um, with people in Nelson who were applying for uh, residency, and some of the letters that had come back to them from immigration were a bit confusing. And the journalist interviewing me for a story even said, what does this letter mean? She was very interested to find out that I had a bill that would actually address that very issue. So yes, it, it does come up. People often come into the office with a letter and they just don't understand it. So, you know, if people don't have that access to someone who can help them with that, then often they'll end up not paying the bill and then getting a court fine or uh, not applying for the benefit they're entitled to. 
Uh, so people will miss out on uh, services that they're actually entitled to as, as, as a citizen or resident. Why do you think gobbledygook or, or bureaucraties, as some other people might call it, why do you think it is a thing? I think a lot of it comes back to uh, academia and the, I have to put my hand up and say as a university student, I learned within the university environment to head out um, like you say. So, for example, we would often head of a word count and if you didn't reach the word count, you'd be penalised, you might drop a grade. And so, say, writing a 1,500-word essay, you get to 1,000 words and you think, I need to add a bit here, so what do you do? You go through and add a whole lot of unnecessary words. That's part of it. But there is a bit of a culture within academia that then translates into the workplace, particularly for new graduates. And there's been some really interesting research done by a professor over in the States at Princeton University, Daniel Oppenheimer. And he, he this is funny, actually, he has a, the title of his, of his uh, research is Consequences of Erudite Vernacular Utilised Irrespective of Necessity, Problems with Using Long Words Needlessly. says it all. Which, what he talks about in his research is that when people graduate, they... Uh, you know, they go into their first role, and it might be in the public sector or as a graduate lawyer or in the private sector, you know, working in a corporate environment, and they're wanting to impress. So they'll often go and find a document from somewhere else and, and copy it. Uh, they're wanting to sound like they know what they're talking about, so they'll use big words. And that kind of becomes the culture within, you know, the professional work, workforce. And people who've been through university and then in that professional workforce can then be easy to lose touch with people in communities and the grassroots who just want to understand what's being asked of them. So you get this, this kind of disconnect between um, that official language and just the real-world language going on. Now, I was going to ask you what areas of society are the worst offenders when it comes to gobbledygook, but I put to you that you people, you people <laughs> are the worst offenders here. I'm going to quote George Orwell here. Political language is designed to make lies sound truthful and murder respectable and to give an appearance of solidity to pure wind. You're putting your own colleagues out of work here, Rachel. What are you thinking? Uh, look, I think all of us have an obligation here. So I, I absolutely agree that uh, politicians, we also need to use clear language, and I do make absolute bet to do it myself. I think it falls on officials uh, who are writing documents within government departments it falls on our legal drafters, and that's actually an area where Parliamentary Council Office has made some big improvements in rushing legislation and plain language. And absolutely, it falls to us as the leaders, as politicians, to be speaking as plainly as possible. Under Boyack's bill, Crown agencies would have to appoint one or more plain language officers who would educate employees on how to write more clearly and monitor compliance. Agencies would have to provide progress reports to the State Services Commissioner, who would report annually to Parliament. In a lot of our public sector agencies, they've already done a lot of work on plain language, so a lot of people already have, uh, you know, a lot of agencies, sorry, already have people inside their agencies who are already doing this work and championing plain language within the agency. So for them, it will just be formalising that. Um, some agencies that may need to come on a bit more of a journey will, will need to appoint someone. I but cannot really believe that you just said some agencies that need to go on a bit more of a journey. I know, I know, I know. I know. <laughs> constantly cheek myself. I'm so aware. I know. Do you know what? I'm, as soon as I said that, I thought, oh, goodness. I can almost hear it in your voice, I think. <laughs> 
<laughs> I know, I know. And and this is well, this is the thing, right? This is why it's so important because so many of these phrases that we use all the time have just permeated uh, through our, our language. Now, there is something of a watchdog on this stuff already. The annual Plain English Awards, sponsored, incidentally, by Newsroom. These have been going since 2006. And they're the brainchild of Linda Harris, who works for a company called Write Limited, teaching people how to write more simply and clearly. Most people think of Plain English as being just about the words, but actually it's about everything it takes to make a communication understandable. Definitely the words of course but it's also making sure that the structure works for the reader, that the key messages are really clearly sought out, that they're in places where the reader can actually spot them and and act on them. It's even about the presentation and design because you'll know how it feels if you see a document that's really dense and off-putting. You just don't even want to get started. So it's it's all of those things. Every year they celebrate good writing from companies and public bodies and shame the worst writing. We've managed to get comedian and host of White Man Behind a Desk, Robbie Nickel, to read some of the worst offenders from years gone by. Management is cognizant of the necessity of eliminating the vegetation from the periphery of the facility. The translation of that, yeah... We know the trees need pruning. Penny DeBorst is Wright Limited's brand manager. We talk about plain language as being a document or a piece of writing, a website or an email or whatever it happens to be, that someone can read once, understand and know what they need to do. We talk about you know, really writing with your audience in mind. So that's what we're looking for with the Plain English Awards. I guess there is an interesting question here, which is the question of like whether all information that public bodies put out should necessarily be understandable by everybody. Because, you know, there are some areas of, I'm thinking, for example, of Crown Law or Treasury. Mm-hmm. By definition, those agencies use a lot of jargon. They use a lot of technical language. That is what they kind of do. I think what it comes back to is the reader, right? So if your document is only going to be read by people who have significant understanding of the topic and the technical aspects, then by all means, you know, use those technical terms. Um, But if it's something that a wider group needs to be able to understand and act on, then you might want to explain those technical terms or use more familiar language. You know, at the very least, the document should be able to People should be able to understand the information that's written for them or for people in their situation. But I also think there's a big difference between technical language and jargon. So, you know, technical language is used to describe something specific where there's there's no other word for it, whereas jargon is, is unnecessarily complicated um, and it's often used to impress rather than inform. So, you know... Um, like there might not be a better way to say flux capacitor, right? <laughs> you might, but, but that doesn't stop you from saying tighten the flux capacitor securely rather than saying apply sufficient torque to the flux capacitor to ensure that the capacitor assembly is securely attached to the power source. Yeah. It's that kind of stuff where it's actually like use the term in the right way and you can still make it easy for people to understand what you're talking about. Sure. But you can also bury it in unnecessary words. Um, but it's interesting that you brought up Treasury and Crown Law. Um, Treasury are actually huge advocates for plain language. Um, but we've been working with them for a while now at Right Limited. Um, and they train their people and they have resources to support plain language. And Parliamentary Council Office is another organisation where you know, naturally you would think, oh, the people are drafting legislation. Like it can't possibly be plain they actually have a real commitment to doing that. They have their own in-house resources and standards. They train their people. Um, and, and one piece at a time, they are really trying to make 
what they write something that most people can access and understand and i think that's a, a basic democratic right really you you said something interesting before you said jargon is often used by people to impress i remember when i was at university i prided yep. myself on the ability to write really long complex compound sentences with lots of adjectives and sure. arcane words and there was a real sense of sort of satisfaction that i got from doing this excuse me but proactive and paradigm aren't these just buzzwords that dumb people use to sound important not that i'm accusing you of anything like that i'm fired aren't i oh yes now obviously i've worked in journalism for a long time now and i have exactly the opposite sort of feelings there's a mark twain quote that resonates in the sense um i apologize for writing such a long letter i didn't have time to write a short one what do you think that that quote means i think what it really comes down to is to be able to write something, it takes a lot of effort, right, to kind of write something that has the empathy that, that kind of helps you write something that, that comes back to your reader. Um, and it takes a lot of work to really hone that message down into what is it that this person needs to get from this piece of writing. It's really easy to kind of sit there and have your busy fingers flying, right? Um, but actually to really think about it and get your thinking crystal clear that takes work. And we often talk about um, clear writing being clear thinking made visible. Our refresh strategy retains a focus on harnessing information, collaboration and innovation, but provides us with a sharper improvement program to ensure we have the capability, technologies, systems, policies and processes in place to deliver on our strategy. There are lots of words for what we're talking about here. Um, bureaucraties is one. Gobbledygook mm -hmm. is another. Mm -hmm. And it's funny. You know, it is funny to sort of talk about. But in a serious sense, you know, what is the impact of rampant bureaucraties on, I suppose, you know, democracy, but also, you know, not not even necessarily something so highfalutin as, 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 sure. as democracy, just participation in, in basic life. Basic function. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think what happens for most people is you, you know, you open a document. I mean, insurance is probably one that we've done a lot of work with over the years and we've seen huge change in it. But, you know, historically, you would open an insurance document, you'd look at it, it's a wall of text, you go, too hard, close the policy, put it away in a drawer, don't look at it again until you come to claim. And then you go, oh, I'm not covered. Hang on, what am I? <laughs> yeah. And then you end up in this kind of claim being escalated, having to spend time with call centre people, frustration either side, you know, whereas if that was written in plain language to start with, you would have known from the outset, you might have even read the whole thing, which would be a good start. Um, you know what you're covered for and everyone kind of knows where they stand and that just makes life a whole lot easier for everybody, you know. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, the thing about plain language for me, there's really three big benefits to it. It increases trust and, and transparency. You know, if you're not hiding behind acronyms and jargons and dense legal language, then people kind of know you're not trying to hide stuff from them. It also supports equity. It's really good. Plain language works really well for people who need to access information who may not have a high level of literacy. It works for people who have English as an additional language. It works well for people who use screen readers or other devices. It's easier to translate than really complex information. So that works really well. But it also improves efficiency. And for me, that's a big one. Like, you know, if every email that came into your inbox was short and crystal clear and you knew what you needed to do, I mean, how much time would you save every day, right? Mm. Like, it's just, when we've been surveying people about email recently, and that's the overwhelming response. Like, I just want something to tell me, what do you want me to do? Mm. And, yeah. Now, you've talked about how the um, awards have sort of changed over time and yeah. the shaming out aspect of this all has sort of, um, mm -hmm. has, has eroded in importance. I suppose 
that is a sign that the awards and the sentiment behind them is kind of working. Because one thing that I have found interesting about the Plain English Awards is that when there were organisations being shamed out for their language, they, they tend to take it in pretty good mm-hmm. spirit. Yeah, we've got um, an example from sort of earlier days, actually, where StudyLink took out the Brave Strain Award. They had a student loan agreement, which was just hard. <laughs> you know, you, it was the kind of thing you look at and you go, oh, <laughs> feel the will to live kind of oozing out of you. Um, and But they actually took that on the chin and they accepted the challenge to rewrite that form. And, you know, since then, we've seen some really great examples of work from MSD to improve the way they communicate with their clients. The Turnaround Awards are a really great example of where people um, see a document, recognise that it's not working and, and change it around. So this year's winner was Waka Kotahi um, and they uh, rewrote the New Zealand code for cycling and I think this is a really good example of some of the principles of plain language really which was that they stripped that original document right back down to its core purpose and got really clear on that and the purpose of that document is a plain English translation of the legislation mm. so then they ran surveys and focus groups to find out what type of language and tone worked best with the audience um, they looked at how people were actually using the code at the moment and and then they just create one that worked for them. And yeah, it's a much better example of, you know, creating a document that works for people who need to use it. And here's a classic example from 2017, which shows just how far Waka Kotahi has come. Transform the Transport Agency establishes a deliberate change management approach to successfully transition the Transport Agency to the refreshed strategy and the new ways of working. It drives improved organisational effectiveness through tenacious alignment of strategy to business planning, resource allocation and performance measurement. It embeds our new DNA and the shift required to ensure we are customer-focused, collaborative, curious and seeking innovation and value for money in all we do. All right, I put this to you. Words are fun. Language is beautiful. Why do you hate literature, you book burner? <laughs> we don't. Do you know, um, we're actually the kind of opposite here. Like, people that I work with love words. Um, we're big readers and writers. Actually, many of my colleagues have written and published novels and poetry. I'm reading a book by a colleague at the moment. So, um, you know, but I think the key thing here is writing at work is different to writing and reading for pleasure. You know, writing at work has a cost in terms of your time. Um, so let's, and it takes a cost for people reading it. So let's make that as efficient as we can. When it comes to writing clearly, writing for people, what, what would mm. you say are the things to keep in mind there? We have a, a checklist that we use. It's like 10 points. It sounds very onerous. It's not. It's quite quick. But we use it for everything we write. And I think it can be summarized in sort of three broad principles that I would use. Um, my first one is it's not about you. Um, it's about your reader. You know, what information do they need? How can you make it easy for them to get that information? What do they know about this topic? What will their questions be? If you can kind of think about it from that perspective, that's really going to guide the way you write. My second principle is why are you writing this? You know, everything you write at work has a cost in terms of your time um, and it needs to do a job. So you need to get really clear on what your purpose is for writing this document and what you're trying to achieve and why should someone spend time reading it. And the third thing I would come back to is what are you trying to say? So one of the techniques we often share in our workshops is to say it out loud um, and then write it down because saying it out loud forces you to get your thinking straight and people naturally, they, they tend to speak more plainly than they do when they start writing. For some reason, you sort of get someone to say it out loud and you go, okay, then write it down and they write down something completely different to what they've just said out loud. Mm. So I think if those three things will really help you orienting your writing more towards what the reader needs from it rather than what you're trying to 
put down on a piece of paper. Probably one of the other things, people often have a bit of a, um, a thing about plain language dumbing down. Sure. We follow lots of international research on those kinds of things, and that's something that has really been disproven. So um, studies in lots of different countries, and basically what they've all found is no one's ever complained that something was too easy to understand. Mm. And in fact, actually, people who have got you know more experience with legal documents tend to get more frustrated with unclear stuff because they just they don't have the time or the you know, <laughs> sort of the patience to wade through the whole thing yeah it's like operating your own unpaid translation service right yeah absolutely um so yeah that's a that's a big myth that we like to bust whenever whenever we possibly can <laughs> The service provider shall evidence leadership and commitment to strengthen and sustain ongoing improvement in the delivery of health services, ensuring services are meeting the needs of the people using them. That's it for today. I'm Emile Donovan. The detail is public interest journalism funded through New Zealand On Air and produced by Newsroom for RNZ. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can find us too. Today's episode was engineered by Adrian Holley and produced by Alexia Russell. And thanks to Rachel Boyack, Penny DeBorst and Robbie Nickel. Finally today, The Detail has been nominated for the Listener's Choice Award at the NZ Podcast Awards. If you enjoy our work, we'd love your vote. Just head to the NZ Podcast Awards website and follow the prompts. Matewa.